Sitting down at my TV, dun dun dun. I was watching Family Guy, Megan, Brian, Chris, and Stu. Dun, dun, dun. Peter flew out of the night. Go hog was something to observe. Bum, 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 bum. Came in close, I heard a noise. Bum, bum, bum. Seth MacFarlane's silly voice. Dun, dun, dun. Had to listen, had no choice. I was feeling part of the Griffins. <laughs> I had so much fun being with them. Quagmire going giggity giggity goo, son, he said. The funny monkey's here to take you home. Really fucked. <laughs> really. How do you feel just... about the song Salisbury Hell by Peter Gabriel? Love it. Love the song. You've absolutely fucked it for me forever. Yes. So really upset awesome. with you. <laughs> I feel like that's what we do with these song parodies, though, is just completely um, ruin the association with them. Yeah, um, yeah it's fucked. Not, <laughs> it's fucked up that, in every way. Not that I uh, listen to the song Everything I Do, I Do It For You a lot, but I sure. can't get that song in my head now without thinking... Um, don't ask me what I'm searching for, Lois. Don't ask me what I'm fighting for, Peter. You know it's true. Everything, Everything I, I do. I do it for Stu. Yeah. And you know what's crazy is that uh, Chris, our guest at that point, Chris Chalakian, was very much like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't laugh. But I could see him. <laughs> <laughs> I could see him fucking Chris laughing. Chris was definitely like, laughing. And you know what? Not to put the cart too much before the horse, but he will be back yes. on the show shortly. And we can confront him about this, um, which I'm very much looking forward to uh, is getting on the record that Chris thought that the everything that's I the do thing I about, do for Stu song. That's the thing about Chris is that um, he loves to be a bully to me and he loves to uh, absolutely fuck with my emotions. <laughs> and I always like to send him this could be us, but you plan memes and he doesn't do anything back about it. But uh, you know what, Chris, one of these days we're going to have ourselves a little little house in the Poconos, and uh, we'll just get over it. Okay, buddy? We'll get over it. Do you also send him memes that are like, uh, she was his queen and crazier than him, and God help anyone that disrespects his queen? <laughs> you know Yeah, normally memes? I'm just... I'm just, I'm just getting usually letters from his lawyer saying we've asked you to stop. This is your final warning. So uh, that's what uh, well, I'm getting from Chris. We have not gotten any letters from lawyers telling us to stop the podcast, folks. So we're uh, still moving forward with it. This is It's on the List. I'm your co-host this week, Mason, joined as always by uh, – how, how would you introduce yourself, guest, friend – Co-host, uh, I was just about to say, I think I'm coming back, brother, unless you know something <laughs> that I don't. But uh, I'm, as always, your co-host Noah Marger. <laughs> That's so insane. It's just so snide and so shitty. Um, yeah, no, it's me, Noah Marger. I'm back once again with Mason McGuire, and uh, I think we have a lot to talk about today, buddy. We I think this is kind do. of a like, uh, like a jam-packed episode. This is a pretty this is a pretty interesting one. Um, I'm very excited because not only does uh, this was a Noah's pick movie, 
And initially yes. we had a different Mason's choice. But in the process of watching this movie, I had this epiphany like, oh, fuck, wait a minute. Oh. I have the perfect thing, the, the perfect, the perfect uh, uh, side dish, the perfect double entree. I don't know. The, the, I'm running out of. It's like metaphors. when you it's, it's when you go to we need Chef Thomas. That's what we need. Uh, yeah. It's like when you go to when you go to McDonald's and you <laughs> order your whole meal and then you go, but I didn't get the double the two cheeseburger meal. So <laughs> that's what that's what this episode is like. It's like you're getting two full meals from the the Golden Arches. So absolutely. Uh, hope you came hungry, you dumb absolutely, pieces yes. of shit. <laughs> I'm really not a big fan of how much you insult the audience. As far as I can tell, they're good people. Loyal folks. Give us a listen every week. Uh, And I like them. I love them. And they're very sweet. But we do have... Uh, I'm very excited for this episode we got. It did, and honestly, when you suggested this movie, I can't believe that it took me until like two days before recording to be like, oh shit, wait a minute. This is what the album pairing should be. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But uh, how have you been, buddy? How's it been since the last uh, recording session? Honestly, I've, it's been, like, I've just felt, like, busy, but not in, like, a way that, like, you would normally feel busy. I feel like I'm quarantine busy, where it's, like, I've created work for myself in just, like, different ways, and it's gotten to the point where, like, we've been in lockdown for, quote-unquote, lockdown, excuse me, for so long that it's, like, yeah, I just feel like I've given myself enough to do to this point where, like, the days kind of go by, Without me, like, sure. counting every, like, grain of sand that slips through my fingers as we inevitably uh, yeah. hurl closer to the death of the stun. So, uh, I'm doing yep. okay. <laughs> doing good. Can't complain. What about you? Uh, it's all right. It's been my first week in the new place, so that's been a fun adjustment, getting used to being a independent living city boy. Uh, there you go. It's weird, honestly, being, like... Um, being in a place that's not my parents' house uh, sure. for what is going to be an uh, indeterminate amount of time, you know, and also being in yeah. the city. Like, when lockdown started, I had been, like, going to the city to work, kind of going out and socializing. Um, but now that it's just, like, I'm going out and walking around, like, my neighborhood, because my neighborhood's very walkable, which I like. Oh, that's uh, good. It's crazy for I put my mask on, I'm responsible, I got my little hand sanitizes keeping Thanks. me nice and safe. Um and everybody else nice and safe. Yeah, exactly. There are an awful lot of people that I just see like sitting in bars or outsides without masks on and I'm like, This is not this is so not compute. fucking stupid. This so is stupid. not com- I don't get this. What is happening here? So it's definitely surreal, I will say. I think that like, you know, living at my parents' place I felt a little bit um uh, um, and this is like my like, like living at my parents' place in the middle of bumfuck nowhere in the burbs, uh, like on a, a acre and a half of land or whatever the fuck that is. You know, it's like a, a sizable plot that's away from civilization that you feel like, oh, this is reality, and then you get out to like the city right. where you're just around where a bunch of fucking people are all the time. You're like, no, this is actually like what real life is like. Sure, uh, this is how most people are living right now, and some of it's like. Anytime I see somebody with a mask, I'm just like, thank God, thank God, there's still some people out there that are being at least like doing the bare minimum of responsibility. But then I see other people going around their normal ass lives, and I'm like, I don't know what to do, man. It's so uh, confusing and stressful, and it's very, very hot in the city of Chicago, which does not help things as well. No, that's fucked, dude. Just, I, it's not like, and that's the crazy thing is like, you can't even. 
approach them in a normal way because of social distancing if you were like actually wanted to say something to them so you have to like shout from for, like across the street hey you fucking psycho where are your hey, goddamn asshole. Hey, what is, or, uh, hey, you guys, wear your masks. This is the electric company. You're telling the electric company to put their masks on. Uh, yeah, you got to wear a mask, you dumb you dumb guys out there not wearing masks. Just wear, wear a mask. mask. Wear a mask, folks. Uh, but yeah, otherwise. Speaking of wearing, speaking of wearing a mask, <laughs> I, think if, I think if our first person were around today, he would be wearing a mask. I just have that's, to assume that. That's awfully, um... That that's awfely generous. I think I I uh, what am inclined to agree just because I have no other evidence to the contrary. But yeah, so this is a Mason's Choice album, uh, and this week we are talking about. Um, you good? Yeah, of course. Cool. I heard a little <laughs> blip on my end. That's why this will be edited. Oh, okay, out. good. So this week, folks, we are talking about um, the baby Beach Boy, Dennis Wilson, <laughs> uh, his. One and only solo uh, endeavor, Pacific Ocean Blue. Uh, let's give it up to Dennis claps, Wilson claps, claps, claps. in the chat. Uh, Dennis Wilson, actually. So with this album, uh, you can find it on Spotify, and it is a package deal of the Pacific Ocean Blue, um, some uh, tra- some unreleased tracks and bonus tracks from those sessions, and then his incomplete um, follow-up, Bamboo, which he was working on at the time of his death, um, at the age of 39, and I believe, uh, 1984 or five. Um, but he died very young. It's a very tragic story. Um, and this album, uh, was re-released. I was telling Noah, this is another classic Rolling Stone magazine pick. Yeah, baby. was re-released, uh, and I want to say maybe 2011 or 2012 when it came into my radar, uh, and I remember being so fascinated by it and I either didn't have money to buy it on iTunes or whatever. wasn't going to pester my parents to give me money to spend on an album and just could not get it in like the interlibrary loan that it seemed like this kind of like white whale or something. And I also was sure. just like not adept at downloading music at that point. Um, but eventually I want to say maybe 2012, 2013, uh, so late high school, early college, in that kind of time frame for me, came into my life. And oh, baby, oh, what a, baby. What a treat, what a gift. Um, so, Noah. Yes. Had you heard of this album at all before Never. I suggested it? Interesting. No. This was a, uh, this was a brand new album for me. Um, this was a, I, I guess, I don't want to say a surprise, but it was like so something that I didn't know about. Like I just literally had no idea that this existed at all. So it was surprising to me that it had never come up before. Like it was just one of those things where I was like, this is like the, a beach boy. This is arguably the third most famous band of all time, right behind the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where it's like, how the fuck have I never heard of this as someone who, maybe doesn't listen to, like, all music ever put out, but, like, loves music and stuff. Like, I was just shocked sure. that this didn't ex- – that I just had no idea about this. And uh, after listening to the album, I'm sad that I didn't hear it earlier because I was uh, – we'll get into it more, obviously, after I give my little intro on it. But yeah. I was shocked, uh, actually, how different it sounded um, than a normal, normal quote-unquote, like a – 
high like a high point Beach Boys album. I thought it sounded very distinct and very different and very um, individual uh, to Dennis's sensibilities because after doing, I did actually quite a bit of research for this episode, Mason. So I might be hitting you with some fast facts. Fast facts, hell yeah, I love them. <laughs> Um, but Dennis was actually the middle Beach Boy. Oh damn! <laughs> the was middle. Carl younger? God damn! Carl it. Carl was the younger one. They're all born two years apart, uh, and so Dennis was kind of the black sheep as far as the brothers were concerned musically. From what mm. I was able to gather, he was very much like interested in music, but like music was not like his you know, his everything, like our friend Brian Wilson, uh, that wasn't necessarily the case. And he was like the actual beach beach boy. Like he was actually like the one who actually surfed and actually like, you know, (laughs) made an effort to actually walk the walk as much as he just talked the talk, uh, in the band. And so, uh, I was very blown away by this album, not in the sense that, like, this immediately is going to shoot into my top ten or anything. Just the Mm -hmm. whole experience of you telling me about it, me not knowing it existed, listening to it two times, of course, unlike you, (laughs) Um, uh, listening to it, and then sort of just thinking about what his place in music history is and how we just don't really think about him i think as far as like uh major musical icons are concerned so this was a very interesting and i would say refreshing listen for me i don't know i feel very like like, taking a a dip in the pacific ocean listening to this album it's it's kind of like i went into the big fucking ocean and (laughs) took a big fucking bath in the fucking ocean no yeah but it legitimately did feel like interesting to a degree that I wasn't expecting. Just everything about this album was unexpected uh, from the perspective of what I knew about the Beach Boys and how much I had listened to the Beach Boys and how different this felt. But let's let's just let's just dive into it, Mason. Yeah. Uh, what do you what do you like about this album? <laughs> That's a good so I think sim- like similar to you, it was like when this album came across my radar, um it's it's kind of like you know when you're a kid and you're just listening to you know the big three or even you know the big two your Rolling Stones and your Beatles, you listen yeah. to enough of the Beatles and the Beatles come into your life enough where you're like you're very familiar and aware that each individual member of the Beatles had like a solo career. I, the, the my first impression was I opened like the the Rolling Stone magazine to the review page and it was like this is like their their like re- the reissue of like their choice choice reissue oh, that month sure. or that week or that issue or whatever. And there's just this picture of this, like, um, this guy with really long hair and a huge beard, and it's Dennis Wilson. And you're reading about it, it's like, oh, the, like the, the middle blues brother, or middle blues brother, middle beach boy, middle Wilson brother. <laughs> it was Jake um, and Elwood and Dennis Wilson. Um, brothers, and at baby. the same time, I was also, um, the movie, I can't remember which came first in this scenario. Um, it may, honestly, I think it was probably the album, but the Monty Hellman movie, Two Lane Blacktop, came into my right. field of vision. Um, and my library actually had a DVD of that, so I checked it out, and that was another, like, kind of just lightning bolts for me of just being like, oh, shit, movies can be like this, you know? Have you seen Tulane Blacktop? I have. I, uh, I don't like it very much. Okay, I fair. Think that it's, uh, it's, was, it's one of the most bleak films I've ever seen, and, like... And I think that, yeah, and yeah. I think that's my impression of, um, Dennis Wilson's music when I first heard it, because, like, 
you know, I realize like the more that I do this podcast and the more that I'm like thinking about like how I probably before we like until fairly recently, like imbibed at least music. I was very much like a find my one or two or three songs and just listen to those on repeat from the artist and not do a ton of like deeper diving into it. Sure. And for this album, like I just remember putting the song, the first song on the album, like getting this album for the first time and hearing, um, the opening track, uh, river song, river song, river song. And just being like, this is it. Like, I don't need the rest of this album. I would listen to the rest of the album when I have this. Right. Um, and eventually throughout the years, I have like come back and listened to this album top to bottom and coming in and out on a lot of different, uh, dreamer was a big song for me for a period in LA, same with Pacific ocean blues. Um, but right off the top, when I first started listening to it, the two songs that really stood out to me were, um, river song and the Holy man instrumental, which Holy man instrumental is not on the initial release of this album. That's part of this like package. Um, the, the, this like kind of reissue package, uh, but that's a song that I think has a lot of. Um, it, so you asked like, what is it about this album that really spoke to me? And I think yeah. that then and now, then I couldn't have put words into it. But now listening okay. to it, what really stands out to me is like just the sense of spirituality in this um, on these tracks and in Dennis sure. Wilson's music that I think. Uh, you know, Dennis was involved with the Manson family, with Charlie Manson. He's the reason why Charlie Manson has a, be- like, Charlie Manson wrote a Beach Boys song. Um, yeah. Dennis Honestly, got out of there before anything freaky happened, so he's like, you know, you know, d- your mileage may vary with Dennis Wilson, d- depending on your, your opinion on him, but he got out before the, the shit got freaky, uh, as far as I know. And you are going to say, he, honestly? Well, I was just going to say, like, that I, you know, doing my own research, I guess I just didn't know anything about this guy really, or really like anything about the Beach Boys, like with the exception of like them, you know, as a group. But doing research and finding out that Dennis was basically the reason why Charlie Manson <laughs> became involved in the celebrity scene in LA in the 60s. Yeah, it's crazy, right? <laughs> shocking. It's shocking, but then when you like look at who Dennis was, or at least who he was reported to be, it kind of makes sense, and it's kind of sad, because he was able to figure out that the Manson family was a cult, but not until he was a part of it. You know what I mean? And I think that that speaks to what at least his reported personality and his reported persona were. He seemed like a guy who was continually looking for a higher meaning of something. Yeah, he was a really tortured guy, which I think, like, now I can, like, I, I, I listen to and I'm like, okay, I this this speaks to me on, like, that kind of, like, questioning, like, spirituality, like, kind of questioning. Totally. Um, that I, I also like in his songwriting, I noticed this time, he's... Um, I didn't get a chance to listen to a lot of Carl Wilson for comparison on, how, like, the three different Wilson brothers writing styles. But, right. Um, you know, Brian is very much concerned with music as um, just like the whole of music. Like you just say like music and that is what Brian Wilson, that's his playground. It's like that general and that specific with his songwriting, I feel. Totally. Um, and we will talk about that later. <laughs> uh, but Dennis, <laughs> I feel, <laughs> Dennis, I feel has a much more um, 
like uh, much more uh, uh, maybe not narrow focus, but he is very concerned with um, the spiritual and also like there's a lot of uh, imagery on this that is that calls back to like nature. You know, there's moonlight or moonshine. Totally, which moonshine. You know, it's the double entendre with the drink and also yep. the the shining moon. There's a song called Rainbow. Uh, pretty existential too. Uh, I'm thinking about in like in the song Time, where it's all about like um, death and stuff. Or there's right. Another, um, or in a Tug of War, which is one of my favorite, or Tug of Love rather, um, which is all about like an internal kind of um, battle uh, that he's going through. And even with the opening track River Song, I think why that spoke to me so much as a youngster, as a little as a little fella, as a 19 18 19 or 20 year old as a tyke yeah as a tyke uh as a dumb little boy um there's a song in there's a a sense of like um it's this sort of cask there's these cascading pianos that start the track and then the choir comes in and it's this is this you know it says walking down by the river water running through my knees river river moves so freely it's this like beautiful epic song about this like just taking a walk by the river um or by the water and having side kind of a um moment of um understanding and then of purpose because it ends with him going like i gotta run away gotta run away um and i think that that's that's why that song really speaks to me um he's a really it's it is such a shame not only that he died but he died under such um insanely tragic circumstances too um he drowned when he was uh dove into a marina to look for jewelry that his ex-wife cast cast off three years earlier which is just like fuck buddy what was going on with you it's so sad um but yeah but i think that there's such a uh innate sense of beauty to this the, the production of this album to just his his lyricism um to the arrangement it's on even though it kind of has that typical beach boy like you know post-surf period beach boy like really when brian wilson was getting experimental that kind of like wall of sound stuff um of that period um i like his interpretation of that um where it's it's never like overwhelming you you can definitely you know exactly for the most part what like the instruments are almost you know um sure. and, but it never feels like he's trying to imitate brian i don't know i there's just such an uh a unique album and i don't think there's a lot of other stuff like it which is why i thought it's uh it would have been good show fodder so my next my question for you at this point is i have gone off yeah. about why this album means yeah, to go me off and why King. I like it a lot. yeah 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 what, I, what this album means to me and why i like it so much but noah having not this not even been on your radar until probably tuesday um yeah. what was your immediate impression and then as you listened to it what was like on your mind and what were you thinking about and then like when you came back to it again what did you notice the second time um, and what has been sticking out for you or like been really just sticking with you with this album uh, since you started, since you listened to it the first time. Yeah. I think that the first go around on this, uh, well, first of all, I was shocked to find out that the entire album from 
front to back is an hour and 52 minutes when you're looking at the legacy edition yeah. of everything. Yeah. And I texted you and I was like, it's a fucking album really an hour and 52 <laughs> minutes, dude. Come on. Like, what the fuck are you doing to me? And then you're like, oh, no, that's just – that's both of them put together. And we agreed to basically just listen to the first tr- part of it, which is the Pacific Ocean Blue. So once I kind of got my head around that, <clears throat> I really was – surprised just i was very surprised that this sounds nothing like what i think of when i think of the beach boys this sounds completely different from the brian wilson project whatever you want to call it because the band makeup of the beach boys is very interesting in that it's five main dudes this was the original lineup that i'm speaking about The, the main lineup was originally five dudes three of whom are brothers, Brian, Dennis, and Carl. And then you have Al Jardine, who's like the no one knows anything about that guy kind of guy. And then you have Mike Love, who obviously now is, you know, says who's that he's one not of a- music's, music's greatest monsters is Mike Love. <laughs> Pretty much. I think he has a quote that's basically like, a lot of people look to Brian Wilson as the hero of the Beach Boys, but all I can see is the Antichrist or something like that. They're like perfect foils for each other and not only were they perfect foils for each other i think he's pretty much pro-trump at this point right like isn't that pretty much he's a big maga guy there are pictures of him wearing the maga hat and giving the trump thumbs up and it's just um weird fucking guy todd in the shadows who's one of my favorite uh longtime youtube creators did a uh train he has a series of bad albums uh, that he covered where he covers bad albums called train records and he covered nice. a uh, Beach Boys 80s album that was uh, the album that Kokomo was on. The name is escaping me. And it is just like there's a lot of interesting history in that video about Mike Love and his um, his 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 Mike Loveness. I'll just say that. But, uh, yeah, it, it's weird fellow. <laughs> he seems like, yeah, and then just so the makeup of the band is bizarre. Uh, you don't really know a lot about Al Jardine. I would argue you probably don't. I mean, not you specifically, but like we don't really know a lot about like Carl and Al Jardine. But now knowing a lot about Dennis Wilson through listening to this record, uh, I was just very like peacefully surprised by what I heard. I don't really know how else to say it. I was very taken with River Song. Obviously, that's the first track on the album, and it probably is one of my three favorites uh, of the album. I would say it's that. And then I would also say uh, Tug of Love and then Only With nice. You, which happened to be the bonus tracks uh, from when it was previously, they were previously unreleased and now are bonus tracks uh, on the album itself. And I really wish they had been uh, released with the main album itself because they are, yeah, like, pretty fucking incredible. Like, they just are. Like, they're just like, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. good enough to have been released with the album. Uh, I mean, that's how I feel originally. about um, Holy Man. There is, on the um, bamboo side of uh, this this reissue here, there is a version with Dennis's lyrics that were sung by um, Taylor Hawkins, who I believe was the drummer for Foo Fighters. Uh, oh, wow. And it has a similar kind of vocal quality to um, Dennis, but just, I've listened to that song and just try to give it a shot. And just is not. I mean, I like the instrumental version just just so much. Uh, that's really all I need to all I need from that song is in that instrumental track. But the thing I think that really sort of made me like I guess put me over the top with this album is that I couldn't help but think, man, this guy could have been an incredible composer. 
Like he could have yes. been just yes. an incredible like person who wrote scores for movies. Like I just listening to pretty much any track, like any of them on this, on uh, Pacific ocean blues. It really just makes me go, damn, like this guy could have had an amazing career uh, scoring films. They are all just so all the tracks are just so cinematic and bold and they have a very rich sound, but a very, uh, like I guess you were saying before, you can really tell what instruments are being used. It's very bare, but at the same time, very intense and very bold. And, uh, you know, it kind of does feel a little bit like just a gloomy day at the beach. You know, he pretty much hits the nail on the head as far as the mood yeah. is concerned. And that's kind of what you need to be, I feel like, in order to be a composer is just yeah. hitting the nail on the head. And so... Uh, that is just one of the, in my mind now, that's like one of the best what ifs with this guy is what would he would have, what would he have kept doing? You know, had he not died and, you know, I think he would have been an amazing composer. So, uh, I'm just going to straight up say it. I completely recommend this album. I can't believe that this album only came into my life, you know, as of this recording two days ago, but, uh, damn if like you can't just, you got to just sit down and listen to the album. It's just really good. That's it's it. really it's just really good. That's what I yeah, like. It's really, fu- it's really fucking good. Uh, I, I definitely, you know, um, one of the reasons why I like doing this podcast is because I have had my affinity for this album close to my chest for very long. And it just is not, uh, I'm not sure how to share it with people because I think that it is sure. such a good album. But uh, luckily this podcast exists to give me a reason to talk about Dennis, this, this album, which has been a big part of my life for the better part of a decade, I feel. Uh, yeah, it's it's a full recommend for me too. One of these days, I will actually sit down and give Bamboo its time. Um, sure. But I just I feel like the the fact that that was uh, Pacific Ocean Blue, I believe, had something of a uh, first run release or like a release while Dennis was alive. Something about listening to a posthumous uh, release uh, or an album that's like incomplete in that regard. Just uh, I don't know. It's it's weird for me to get my headspace about that. Like, oh, this is like this guy's last last word more or less but uh right. maybe someday uh definitely full recommend for this though um and for the uh in the spotify playlist i'll just put all the tracks in it up until uh what is it what would it be mexico i think is technically yeah the end of the first test there so yeah so i we haven't plugged actually the playlist on this podcast in a while but there is a playlist where we're compiling all the music which we ever talk about <laughs> on this yeah. and uh you can find instead of like siphoning through and listening to uh, two hours of Dennis Wilson music, which if that's what you want to do, do it. Uh, you can just find uh, Pacific Ocean Blue and the three bonus tracks uh, there for your convenience. So, uh, yeah. Can I share cool. a fast fact with you, Mason, real quick? Noah's fast fact. <laughs> that's a Noah's fast fact. <laughs> 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 That that has to play every single time that we ever do a fast fact on this show. Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> Mason apparently <laughs> he had a relationship with Christine McVie of Fleetwood Mac sometime oh. in the sixties or seventies. So. Oh, and she's my favorite Fleetwood. She's my favorite oh. of the Max. She's your favorite. She, it's the it's the history of the Fleetwoods versus the Max, <laughs> and you had to pick Christine McVie. I always thought it was really insane, like. That band, just because in my head, the Rumors album cover is so ingrained when I think of that band. So I literally just think of the band as a really tall guy and a really (laughs) short guy, and that's it. And that's all I can think about when I think of Fleetwood Mac. Obviously, that's not the case, but 
I just that's all I think about is just like a really fucking tall guy and a really short guy, and the short guy's the one singing, and the tall guy's the the stoic, silent guy. But I believe yeah, the short guy in this in this album cover that you're talking about is Stevie Nicks, who is a lady. Is it? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty is sure it? that it's Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks are on the. Rumors I always cover. thought it was Mick Fleetwood, but hold on, it could be Mick <laughs> gonna Fleetwood. do a little. Gonna do a little bit of investigating, okay? We should uh, we should get this uh, straight before we move forward and talk about well, the movie that we're covering today. It's very important uh, that our audience. Does it's not well, think that the information of, is uh, not readily available on Wikipedia, so I guess we'll never fucking know unless never it says know. It right Forbidden here. knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> forbidden knowledge just like this is a very specific joke that no one will laugh at except if you're the person who knows just like the exposure of the sony f5 you'll never be able to know okay let's move on to the movie okay the movie this week uh mason okay yes. i don't know if you know about this movie uh but it's Didn't about watch it. brian wilson okay no worries thanks everyone for coming to the show <laughs> you can listen to the show on podcast uh you can listen to the show on the podcast um uh, yeah, no, the movie this week is Love and Mercy, uh, directed by Bill Pollad. Claps, 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 Uh, this is a movie about Brian Wilson's, it's a, it's not your grandma's biopic. No, 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 <laughs> about, no, no. <laughs> about, uh, the man himself, Brian Wilson, the front leader or the leader of the Beach Boys, and just kind of about. Uh, the Beach Boys in a very roundabout way, but ultimately about Brian Wilson's yeah. uh, mental breakdown as well as the 80s, you know, mistreatment of him, which we will definitely get into. But uh, this is definitely not your this is definitely not your mom's biopic because this is uh, this is doing things a little bit differently. And it's shocking when you find out that the director of this film had only directed one other film. In yeah, his like entire 25 life. years earlier, too. That's <laughs> nuts. Because it's so uh, specific in the feeling and the direction that it gets. This feels like it had been directed by a guy who had been around for 30 years directing a movie every year or two. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I definitely feel that. And that was um, – when I saw this movie for the first time, I was really convinced that this was handled by um, – it's kind of curious, actually. It's It feels like it's directed either by someone who's been around for a long time or someone who's making their debut feature and really needs, like, really wants to make a, a, a good, lasting impression. And oh, it's interesting. kind of both and also kind of neither. So the director, Bill Polad, is actually an um, executive producer um, who runs the production company... Uh, one second here. River Road I Entertainment. I got it pulled up. So he directed, wrote, and produced the film Brokeback, uh, not Brokeback Mountain, Old Explorers in 1990. And then on Wikipedia, uh, I believe this is a River Road film. He, um, it, it goes in 2005, his next credit is in 2005, where he was an executive producer on Brokeback Mountain. Uh, was also a producer on a previously covered show, into the, a previously covered movie, Into the Wild. Uh, the Runaways in 2012, 2010, Fair Game, The Tree of Life, 12 yeah. Years a Slave, and the Jean-Marc Val uh, film uh, Wild, right before As well this. as 
Food Inc. and a very underrated documentary that I actually watched in school called Chicago 10, which is about the Chicago 10 during the 1968 Democratic Ooh. National Convention uh, with Bobby Seale of Black Panther fame and Abby Hoffman, who is the guy in Forrest Gump who yells Viet fucking Nam. You'll learn something new every single day of your life. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you for that fast fact, <laughs> Noah. Uh, but yeah, Bill Polad, a guy that's like, <laughs> he's been a producer, um, been a Hollywood guy, definitely got a good, a, a kind of good variety of movies under his belt. Not a very narrow focus guy, and I think has pretty good taste, which and um, which makes this, I think, film that much more impressive because you can tell that he like learned visuals. Like he picked up a lot, I think, um, from working on these films in this um, sophomore feature, but I think also ostensibly a debut in some way. It's um, like a, it's like mm-hmm. the, his first movie that came out in 1990 was like a soft debut. This really feels like a debut feature, though, in the sense of like this is the movie that people actually saw that he did. Like I couldn't tell yeah. you a you single th- damn person who has seen uh, his 1990 film Old Explorers. Literally, never even heard of it. Did you? Uh, so, how much research did you do before this? Do you know like why he chose this movie to come back, like get behind the camera and like call the shots? Well, I don't know exactly why he decided to direct it, but I did watch an interview with Bill Pollad, John Cusack, and Brian Wilson himself that they did um, as sort of like a press junket for the film when it was released. And basically what he said is that they've been trying, this is a movie that had been trying to be made for a number of years prior mm-hmm. to uh, this them actually making Love and Mercy. And it finally came, you know, Bill Pollad had finally accrued enough clout and enough uh, sort of goodwill in the industry to the point where he acquired the rights or was working with someone who had acquired the rights and basically was like, well, I'm going to do it. And that to me made me go, Oh, well he must be a huge beach boys fan and a huge Brian Wilson fan if he wanted to direct it himself. But in the interview, he literally says, no, I'm actually more of a Stones guy, and I told Brian that, that I'm actually more of a Stones guy than a Beach Boys guy, and Brian Wilson being, you know, the guy that he is was like, okay, who cares? You know, like, who, give, who actually gives a fuck what a fan of it are? But he said that it helped him making the movie because it gave him a little bit of distance between the subject matter, you know, and the actual you know, movie itself. He had to be able to make the best possible film he could make, as well as making a faithful adaptation to Brian and uh, Melissa Wilson's life uh, who Melissa Wilson in the movie played or not. She's not Wilson at the time, but played by Elizabeth Banks, who I think is a pretty underrated actress. I think she's usually very good and doesn't really get yeah, the, her, her, her due diligence. I agree. And especially watching rewatching this movie. Um, so Noah was saying, this is not your daddy's biopic. This is not this your is not this is not your walk hard template biopic where it starts Whoa. at birth and goes through to death. Can't end with Brian Wilson's death. He's still alive. Can't but do it's... it if you do it. You're a big you're phony, and I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this movie um, does a, a couple interesting things with the biopic format. First, it First. casts two different actors. In the central role as of Brian Wilson, so in eighties, two 80s, different actors, Are two you very me? different actors. Two. Uh, Can you do that? Even is that even allowed? You dumb guy. 
nobody told Bill Polad no, so he did it. So and for eighties, uh, for eighties, uh, Brian Wilson the, uh, is John Cusack. John Cusack is first build. His p- picture is all over the poster. Uh, sort of, uh, he when he's the guy that we um, this kind of his career's on the down low. He's having a lot of mental. Um, health problems. He's under the care of uh, Dr. Eugene Landy, who was, um, uh, you know, as the song Brian Wilson said, Dr. Landy, please tell me you're not just a pedagogue. Uh, why didn't I do the, the Bare Naked Ladies Brian Wilson as the song parody this week? That would have been fun, right? That would have been so fun. What were you doing? You were I don't using know. your bathroom too much. <laughs> Can I tell uh, you something, though, Mason? Can I yeah, tell you another up? fast fact? So there was actually at some point, I'm just going to read you the quote straight out, but at one point there was a third time period being discussed, uh, but ultimately discarded. uh, And this was going to be the famous bed period of Brian Mm. Wilson's life. Mm -hmm. And do you know who was going to possibly play bedridden Brian Wilson? Uh Told us Winton. You zoomed... You zoomed, you zoomed me again. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, no, it was not Tilda Swinton, but I wish it was because mwah, chef's kiss. It was going to be possibly Philip Seymour Hoffman. That would have been crazy. That would have rocked. That would have been so good. <laughs> but oh. the timing's a little bit conspicuous because, unfortunately, Philip Seymour Hoffman did pass away in the year of our Lord 2014. So who knows exactly what the situation there was. But for whatever reason, they didn't do that third time period. But yeah. like Mason was saying, this is a uh, this is a story of two Brian Wilsons, the, the young Brian Wilson played by Mr. Paul Dano, who, listen, <laughs> this was the movie that made me go, Paul Dano is a freak because I hadn't seen There Will Be Blood uh, before yeah. I had seen this movie. Oh, really? I, yeah, well, this, so I saw this movie. I guess I didn't even say this on the pod yet. I saw this movie in theaters. In 2014, uh, at the Century 16 in Cedar Hills uh, area of Beaverton. (laughs) Shout out to the Century 16. Um, And this was the movie that made me aware of the power of sound design. I had never considered sound design. I'm so happy you brought that up. That was going to be a point that I wanted. I I wanted to talk about the sound design. But keep going on your experience with this movie. No, yeah. I remember sitting in the theater and literally like the second thing that you – I think it's like the first or second thing that you see slash hear in the movie is just a big sound collage. And I have a little, have a little, uh, he, yes, here we go. It's called, they called it the black hole sound collage, I guess, Ooh. while they were working on the film. And the thing right here says the opening black hole sound collage features many studio, many studio chatter excerpts taken from Brian Wilson's actual recording of California girls, among other 1964, 65 songs by the beach boys. One line can be heard spoken by the real Wilson quote, your grass. And I'm a power mower, which was the working title for California girls. And it's this insane uh, sound montage, like cacophony of just sounds. And this is like how the movie opens. And I could not even fathom at the time of me seeing this in 2014. I'm like 17 years old, possibly. Yeah, I'm 17 sitting there going, holy shit. This is telling me so much about the character and the situation, you know, the conflict of the film without Mm -hmm. even showing me anything. Like I'm already know so much about, the mental state and the character of Brian Wilson, who you later find out 
is basically hearing all this in his mind and they're using it as this sort of motif to talk about how clouded his mind was at this time. It was just amazing. Like I literally was like, holy crap. Like I never considered that as a possibility in film, just a truly remarkable way to open a movie. Yeah. It's, it's really great. Like the other thing that it brings to mind, uh, like just sound, uh, wise, it reminds me of the opening of like blue velvet, but like you, I also saw this movie in theaters. Uh, I saw this, at the uh, Music Box Theater in Chicago with my buddy oh. Max. Um, yes. This was in 2015. Uh, so it was right after it's like kind of, it went to TIFF and then I think it was like going through rounds um, in theater uh, in theaters. And then it made its way to us uh, in, in, in Chicago. And at the time, The Dissolve, which was a, uh, I don't know if you were familiar with The Dissolve, Noah, but it was no, the no. Uh, Pitchfork offshoot movie site uh, Scott gotcha. Tobias was involved with that. Nathan Rabin, Tasha Robinson, Noel Murray, um, Keith Phipps, a couple other people that I'm missing. But uh, that was a big website for me. I check that shit every single day, every week, basically. And they sure. one day had a um, they had a contest going um, to see this movie in advance or whatever at the Music Box, and uh, it was there's going to be a Q and A after the movie. And Brian Wilson and John Cusack were both going to be there. Wow. And I got those tickets, baby. <laughs> Are so you fucking I, kidding me? <laughs> no, dude. It rocked. So um, I was. How'd was, you win? I don't remember. I feel like I just sent in an email. Uh, it was like just as simple as like send an email with like your name or something and we'll get you on the list. Um, I had also like the year previous I had um, – gone to like a dissolve um like it was a chicago-based company or a chicago-based uh journal it it dissolved it dissolved shortly after that on july 5th 2015 um so uh but the year previous there had been like a little like kind of reading with uh nathan rabin i want to say um keith phipps and scott tobias at uh like a little nonprofit bookstore and i went to that uh, I ran into Scott Tobias at my local Starbucks that summer when I was doing summer school work and I chatted him up for a second. Uh, oh, yeah. That next year I had, um, so the, I, that next year I had um, uh, interviewed him for a class of mine, Scott Tobias. And then, uh, oh, wow. yeah, I sent in the email and I don't, I don't think that I like pulled cloud or anything. I entered it as honestly as I remember, but I at, was added to this like list and I got in and I watched the movie uh, and, uh, it was so nuts. It was fu- so fun. It was this packed house full of like Beach Boys fans. Um, cause at that point I had started to get into the Beach Boys a little bit more than just like your standards. Um, like your, 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 Cal- your California girls, your, um, uh, I, I think I listened to Pet Sounds all the way through, um, sure. fairly previous, like right before that probably. So this was like a big time for me to see this movie and really just deepen my appreciation for both that album and for, uh, Mr. Brian Wilson. And, uh, I will say, you know, you go to these Q and A's and you see some real, uh, interesting folks show up. Um, sure. As any Q and A tends to be, I can't think of any, God, it sucks to say this. I can't think of any, really good Q&A that I've ever been to after a movie screening. And I know that might sound like shitty, but like it's kind of true a little bit. There's like moments that are good, but then I'm sitting there always and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You have these like (laughs) amazing artists just sitting right in front of you and you're asking them, 
But you're basically asking them the equivalent of like, how yeah. do you memorize all those lines? Or how do you plan all those shots? And it's like, are you shut up? Are you kidding me? Come on. Yeah, and there was this guy that I remember had, he was the first guy who, who went up for a question and he had this whole spiel about like how much Brian Wilson's music meant to him. And it was really sweet, actually. It was a nice thing. Sure. Um, there wasn't really a question attached to it as far as I can remember. But this guy's going on and on and on. And eventually Brian Wilson just goes, okay, you're, you're done now. And like had him get <laughs> ushered away. Damn, that's brutal. And like after, brutal. you know, this is after we watched the movie. So I'm like, yeah, Brian Wilson has the right just to get people out of his face that he doesn't want to see anymore. 100%. 100%. The guy is a living legend. And, you know, if you're being an idiot at a Q&A, you know, who, no one says you have to answer the question. He's a living question. legend. And he's, all, he's also been like, um, he also under, like, was subject to years of horrific abuse, not only at the hands of his dad, but at a, a his therapist. We will, you know, quote unquote, yeah, this Dr. Sure. Eugene Landy yeah. uh, and also kind of got bullied out of being in the band by Mike Love. Uh, yeah. I did read this. In, I, could, I didn't think to look it up before recording, but I did find this insane take online at the time that was like it was actually good that Brian Wilson was subject to such horrific abuse because it did give us uh, good music. And I'm like. Even when I was like, "Fuck off!" <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I read that I was like 21, and I was just like, "I, I can't. This doesn't make any sense to me. Like, what, what, what are you talking about here?" I know, it's so backwards. But uh, the the way that the movie posits Doctor Eugene Landy, played by the perpetually underrated Paul Giamatti, who actually is one of my favorite actors of all time. I know that that might be an easy thing to say, but I legitimately love Paul Giamatti like he even in bad movies and he if he, if he has like a bad character like I just love watching him on screen like he's just so fun and he's he very rarely race. gets he very rarely gets to play like an antagonist I notice like very rarely oh, really? do you actually get to see him like I feel play someone who's like kind of an evildoer like it's weird I almost feel like this this character of Dr. Eugene Landy is like the antithesis of the role he plays in the next movie that I think he does, which is straight out of Compton, yeah, he where he does. plays the like record producer for NWA. Have and it's just crazy. Out of Compton? Yes. Oh, is it good? It's okay. It's not great, but you know, if it's like a classic cable movie, you know, like it's yeah, got kind of that vibe sure. to it. Okay. But the guy who plays Easy E in it, I think his name is Jason Mitchell. That guy was amazing. That that was an amazing performance and uh, yeah, you just love to watch that guy on screen. But watching Paul Giamatti uh, as Dr. Eugene Landy in this, as evil and as corrupt and as manipulative as he is, gives an amazing performance. And you're oh, just like, course. holy shit. It, love this fucking shit. I don't think there's a single bad performance in this movie. And I will say no. that like, I was watching this, um, and there's a couple really great just filmmaking moments in this that I really liked. And uh, the first of which... Which um, got me again really good the second time, which is when Brian's at the piano playing God Only Knows and it like moves around him and then reveals his dad. Um, Great scene. Played by Bill Camp. And that's what I was going to say is that I was watching (laughs) this and I forgot Bill Camp was in this. And he shows up, and I just go, Bill Camp. <laughs> yeah, Bill Camp is awesome. Bill Camp is lungs. amazing. I any t- I do I have a reflex where any time Bill Camp shows up in a movie that I was not expecting Bill Camp to be in, I have to throw up my arms and just scream to the heavens, Bill fucking Camp, because uh, I love he's to awesome. see that guy. And he's really good in this movie too as uh, Murray Wilson, who is also a 
massive piece of shit. Um, yep. And that's the thing that I think not a lot of that's the this movie I think. Um, it, the reason why this is not like another reason why I think this movie um, is a very is like one of the best examples of a biopic and like one that more people I think should be emulating is it's like it's very conscious of the um, like the, the kind of the business side of being you know you want to call it a genius or something or ahead of your time um, where I feel like a lot of other, um, sort of similar great man, we'll call them biopics are just like content to, um, as parodied and walk hard. Um, you know, they are, uh, they're kind of like workhorses, I think. And not to say Brian Wilson wasn't, but he was a guy that was just, um, due to his sort of, um, you know, he was deaf from the abuse that he, uh, deaf in one ear from the abuse that he uh, endured at the hands of his father. That all the Wilson brothers actually endured at the hands of their father. Right. Um, deaf in one ear and really interested and really um, playful. Uh, that I think is reflected in his music. Um, but that is at odds with the, the realities of music as an industry, music as a business. And I think that this movie, more than a, any other that I can think of, of its ilk, um, really uh, um, emphasizes that uh, incredibly well, like how um, it, like towards the end of the movie or like towards the middle of the movie when things are starting to get really bleak for Brian, like his dad sells the catalog for the Beach Boys music, uh, right. which is just a completely gutting uh, moment and a completely gutting scene, I, th- I think. Yeah, the that moment where... You know, the you know he encounters his you know death or whatever in the hero's journey uh, is gutting, and I think what another thing that this movie does so well is that it doesn't try and do his entire life. It doesn't try and be yeah, everything. Yeah, it just focuses on the. I mean, they've already. I mean, you've come into the movie while they're already you know at the top of the world, basically. And after them being at the top of the world, you see him want to, you know, branch Brian Wilson, want to branch out. And you just get to see how that completely fucks up his life, basically, uh, in the hands of everybody else. And I think the best parts of the movie are watching Paul Dano be Brian Wilson in the recording studio and just as they love to say, go off King, because he just gets to go off King in this movie in a way that I think is very special because another thing that they talked about in this interview that I watched and what's been purported or reported multiple times is that Bill Pollard just had cameras running and he just let Paul Dano conduct these musicians who are really sitting there as musicians in pet sounds and he yeah, really let yeah. him just sort of go off and I don't think you can necessarily write that I think that's just something that you have to have trust in your actors to pull off if you're going to do something like that and honestly kind of who better I feel like to let do that you know and not to say that uh Paul Dano is a better director than Bill Pollard but very then re- you know quickly after we get Paul Dano's debut feature a couple years later uh wildfire or excuse me not wild is it wildfire or wildlife it's wildlife wildlife not a fan of that movie honestly uh (laughs) but uh i think that's a conversation for a different podcast really 
Uh, I think it's just okay. I, m- I might need to rewatch it, but I was I saw it in theaters and it made me. Uh, I don't know how I felt about it. I, could, I should come back to that one, but yeah, um, I th- I agree with you. I think that the parts that worked for me best this time were the um, the Paul Dano sections uh, of the Pet Sounds in that totally. era. I think that there is. Um, you know, I, 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 am, I, I, I love this movie. I really like this movie a lot. I think that this time um, the seams of it kind of were a little more apparent. I don't think it quite coheres as a whole as much as I remember it uh, in fair. the past. Um, just because I think that the necessary choice and the, the, the necessary choice to double cast the role of Brian Wilson um you know, you get two different performances, um, and I respect that decision, but sometimes it does feel like I'm watching two different movies and, like, a half of those two different movies, even. Um, sure. It doesn't quite gel together as a whole, even if, like, individually. Like, I really love the John Cusack, Elizabeth Banks stuff. Uh, I would have preferred Elizabeth Banks' character to be... Uh, written a, uh, just a little more with a little more like kind of motivation and uh, like um, sure I think she's a, a does a really tremendous performance I think Melinda Ledbetter is really uh, sympathetic but I would have liked to for her um, motivation for helping Brian be something just besides like you know they eventually end up together or for that to be expressed in a in a different way than I think what it is in in the movie I can't really remember that I think she's just like you know even if it is just like, you know, she's innately a good person and loves him. Um, right. I feel like in that section, there's such a difficult, like, what the, the conflict in that sec- in those sections is really difficult. Like, there's a, a, a sort of a conflict triangle that doesn't quite get resolved. That, like, in the Paul and Dano I, section... I, uh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I think then that has something to do with the fact that Brian Wilson, as the in the future Brian Wilson, so to speak is so passive and so unable to like actually take any action for himself that it creates a situation where Melissa Ledbetter, Elizabeth Banks' character kind of has to act like a deus ex machina, kind of has to act like a savior in a specific way. And maybe that is exactly how it happened. But I think that is a very fair point to say that, that is yeah. not as interesting on screen. It's more interesting to see the hero actually have, you know, some autonomy over his situation yeah. well, the and other- even mm-hmm. have the girl, like, or not the girl, but, like, even have Melissa Ledbetter, like, have a somewhat selfish reason to want to help him as opposed to just like, oh, well, I'm a good person, so I'm going to help. And it kind of creates a one-dimensional character yeah, in that respect. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I, you know, Melinda Ledbetter and Brian Wilson have been together for almost 30 years at this point, I feel. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I know. Um, I, in my doing a little bit of research on the movie and it's like historical accuracy, it is like more than most other biopics, they were very concerned with historical accuracy and making sure things were, were correct. Like totally. down to like, I'm sure like down to what like the Wrecking Crew members were wearing, which is, this is the movie I think that introduced me to the Wrecking Crew, which was a rotating bunch of studio musicians that played on like most albums in like from right. a period of time. Uh, Carol Kay, who's one of the greatest bassists of all time, did the iconic um opening bass lick for Wichita Lineman shows up in this movie. Hal Blaine, who's one of the best session drummers, um, gets a nice little bit where he, uh, with Brian, um, after the recording, which I, that's one of my favorite other little scenes in the movie. Um, but that being said, there, there is a, like, 
Melinda Ledbetter was definitely involved with getting Eugene Landy um, uh, out of Brian's out. life. Uh, yeah. But, you know, uh, a good... You see her calling Carl Wilson, because Dennis had died at this point. Uh, and Carl was also very instrumental. And I kind of... There, there's a version of this movie and a version of the climax of this movie, which is like... Um, the Like, you know, because it, it, in my mind, Smile falls apart... The band sort of falls apart. The Beach Boys fall apart. Brian's mental state collapses. Um, and the band uh, disintegrates more or less. And he loses contact with his family. In my mind, it would have been... It, it Like, to give one little teeny little note, like, bring the family back at the end. You know, like, bring the family back uh, and make it sure. meaningful in that way. You can still have what I think... Like, a beautiful the beautiful finale of this movie, which is just Brian and Melinda together... At like the at like the uh, the interstate where the house used to be, which I think is such a great uh, I think that's a great right. ending, which is just them talking to each other and you don't hear it and there's just wouldn't there be nice playing? I think that's really sweet. Uh, but I wanted yeah. to, a little more Carl Wilson action in this. It would have been nice to see some Carl Wilson. I think is just what my point is. <laughs> Get some Carl Wilson in there, Bill. You dumb asshole. <laughs> <laughs> This is the episode where everyone's getting called out by me as a dumb piece of shit or a dumb <laughs> asshole or a dumb guy. It's just the way it had to be. I do want to just quickly go back to one thing real quick that might actually – this is another fast fact. Mason, are you ready for another fast fact? There was fast fact. Boop. This is the only movie that Atticus Ross is credited as a solo composer. Can How you believe that? that? Uh. I'm happy you told me that. I can believe it definitely, but that's a fun fact. I definitely love the fa- that fast fact. It's fun. Actually, it's fast. Do you have and it's the very IMDb cute. up in front of you? I want to just like get on the record, like the the sound team behind this, like the mixers, the editors, all those posts. Like, let's just get their names on the record because this is truly like it's like I I understand why this movie didn't get any kind of Oscar attention. Uh, kind of right. is insane to me that uh, Paul Dano at least didn't get some kind of you know, a little nudge, nudge. Uh, but like the fact that this is completely like ignored for any sound related Oscar is really uh, nuts to me. And I want to know who is responsible for making this movie sound so dang good. Okay. Do you want me to read every single person that is uh, credited yes, on they, the sound department? Yes. Cause they all had, uh, they all had a hand in making the, 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 the sound of this movie and we should give them their due. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say each person's name, and you're going to give me the one clap, okay? Like at high school graduation. You got it. Yes, exactly. Okay. Mark Agostino, music playback. Josh Berger, assistant re-recording mixer. Patrick Christensen, ADR mixer. Marco A. Costanzo, Foley artist. We got a lot more. Ian Simore. I'm not sure exactly on that one. It's C-Y-M-O-R-E. Ian Simore, assistant re-recording mixer. Ian. Renee DeFrancesh, you sound utility. Robert Den, sound studio manager. We have a lot more. (laughs) Oh, boy. I did not anticipate this. (laughs) We have to see this to the bitter end. Eugene Geardy, re-recording mixer slash sound designer. There you go. That's that's probably one of the big boys right there, to be honest with you. Uh, Lionel Janown. I'm not sure on that one either. Teaser re-recording mixer. (laughs) Sean Hessinger, ADR mixer. 
Ruth Hernandez, ADR editor, Robert Jackson, boom operator, Chris Jenkins, re-recording mixer. I really don't know how to say this first name. Aurelien Mauro, sound technician, French dubbing. Samuel Milley, assistant sound editor. Eric Potter, sound effects, re-recording mixer. Nicholas Renbeck, supervising sound editor, another big boy. Steve F.V. Smith, sound consultant with Dolby. Matt Sobel, sound intern. Paula, I'm just imagining all these people with like an SNL-style intro. Like, they're waving the cap down, or they're like trying to get a bite to eat at a cafe or something. Uh, Paula Stuhl, EPK sound mixer edward ties sound mixer stephen vischer supervising fully editor and last but not least mark wilkening adr mixer musical guest back <laughs> paul dano ladies and gentlemen wow what a what a good bit we just did on the on the podcast listen you gotta you gotta give you gotta give the the technicians their due, the below the line folks. They are as much responsible for the creation of any movie or any piece of media 100%. as a director or a writer. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, re- regardless of my like little nitpicky criticisms, uh, I still recommend this movie. I think that it's like, uh, especially if you know you're either uh, you've seen a lot of bad biopics or you uh, just seen you know Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, so you know how every biopic works. Um, this is a this is a, a cool sip of water. I think this is a very uh, it's an inter- it's a really um, it, it's a very artfully done movie. Uh, it's it's definitely entertaining. Learn a lot, uh, and at the very least, you get to hear some good good Beach Boys tracks. So I definitely recommend this movie. Yeah, I want to say a couple more things, and then I'll tell you that I recommend this movie. Mike um, Love sucks. Fuck Mike Love. Uh, Mike Love sucks. This is a Get him story out of, there. of resilience, both artistic. <laughs> this is a story of uh, artistic resilience, not only artistic resilience, but mental resilience of being able to come back from uh, just an insane life. Oh, I like uh, that. Yeah, this is my so my my favorite scene in the movie is actually one of the John Cusack scenes, and it's when he takes Melissa to his um, coastal house. For the first time, mm-hmm. and he plays her what ends up being in real life the love and mercy actual song yeah, melody, and yeah. she says, "Oh my god, that's so nice. What is that?" And he said, "I don't know. I made it up when I looked at you, and it's never gonna come back." And I was like, "Holy shit, that's a that's an amazing little moment that I completely forgot about." As well as um, the scene where they're in the in the Paul Dano uh, side of the story when they're in the recording studio. And they like can hear him talking on the track, like over the backbeat to the brothers. Mm-hmm. And he says, "No, no, no, just leave it in." And they're like, "Are you kidding me? Why would that? Why would you leave that in? That's not supposed to be in there." And he's like, "It'll make the song better." And I just think that that's like an awesome little moment of just like trusting your gut, of, yeah, like, just going for something that even if other people don't believe will work, if you fully believe it will work, then you have to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know what? You just reminded me of one of my. Uh favorite favorite things from this movie which is i it comes late enough in the movie where i feel like this this is earned but it's when brian is in the pool and in the deep end and he's like come hang out with me over here guys and i forget who says it but somebody goes we like the shallow end brian we don't want to be we're not we don't want to be in the deep end with you and you're just like now there's some symbolism a little (laughs) (laughs) there's that metaphor we were looking for maybe (laughs) 
there's this film professor at Chapman uh, who was a cinematography guy, and he would always say to his students, don't let your metaphors be meta-fives. And I feel like that's Ooh. a little bit verging on a meta-five. That's but a it's metaphor like just and a enough. half. <laughs> it is. It's a metaphor point five for damn sure. And then I will also just point out, uh, not point out, but just say, uh, this movie just finally got me to actually listen to Smile. Have you ever actually listened to Smile, Mason? Not in years. Uh, not in years, actually. But it has been... Uh, uh, I do have a fond impression of it. How'd you find Smile? Uh, well, I mean, that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the song or the album that he's actually, like, trying to make before everyone yeah. abandons him. And I had just known people, like, earlier on, like, in my life who loved smile and stuff and i just sort of heard about it but never gone for it um i don't know if i will be coming back to smile anytime soon because it is a a little scary to be (laughs) honest with you but uh i'm really glad i listened to it it's got a lot of it kind of just feels like the most brian wilson thing that you could ever listen to to be honest with you it's like fully unencumbered brian wilson and so if you're a big fan of Brian Wilson and for some reason haven't listened to Smile, absolutely a must listen if you're one of those kind of people. But I would even say it's just worth a listen. So you know what? I'll give that a recommend as well, but it's kind of a light cool. recommend. And I absolutely recommend this movie. I do agree with you, Mason, that it doesn't hold up quite as well as I remember it uh, when I saw it initially. And I do think that there are somewhat weak aspects of sort of the story, just sort of like co I don't want. I almost said collusion. <laughs> almost the collusion of this story, just like sort of the cohesion of everything uh, and the way it congeals. But uh, it's absolutely worth a watch. It is currently available on both Amazon Prime and Hulu. Yep. So it's a, not a hard p- movie to find by any stretch of the imagination. So this is a recommend from me. Uh, we're done with the show, Mason. Woo. Where can the folks find you? You can find me on Instagram at HotDogDebicki or on Letterboxd. I'm also on Instagram at GoodSky, T-O-N-I-T-E. This week, Community Resource. This is another Chicago-based one uh, just because uh, that's where I am. (laughs) Uh, This is the uh, Brave Space Alliance. Uh, I feel like I have shared some of their stuff uh, on my personal Instagram page, but I just wanted to give them a little uh, uh, mention on the show. They are, uh, according to their mission page on their websites, bravespacealliance.org. Uh, Brave Space Alliance is the first black-led, trans-led, LGBTQ center located on the south side of Chicago, dedicated to creating and providing affirming, culturally competent for us, by us, resources, programming, and services for LGBTQ individuals on the south and west sides of the city. They strive to empower, embolden, and educate each other through mutual aid, knowledge sharing, and the creation of community resources as we build towards the liberation of all oppressed peoples. Um, They've been really good at uh, mutual aid stuff, getting food to people who need it, um, other community organizing. So uh, if you're in Chicago, uh, check them out if you're not and have a little extra scratch for some money their way. But I think they are a good resource. More information at bravespacealliance.org, which will be in the show notes. Uh, I think that about does it for... Me this week, uh, recommendation actually. Uh, I listened today to um, so friend, uh, people who have watched the show uh, Big Little Lies may be familiar with the song uh, Cold Little Heart by Michael Kiwanuka. Kiwanuka, of course. I think. Uh, just listened to his 2019 yep. album Kiwanuka, and it uh, fucking rocks. So give that a listen, and that's my recommendation. Noah, damn. Where can the folks find you? Yes. 
Oh, you can find me on Twitter.com where I look at my phone for 15 hours a day and get pissed the fuck off. You can find me at Moa Narger. You can find me on Letterboxd, Moa Narger as well. You can find me on Instagram at Noah.Marger and you can listen to my other podcast. What? You kid? Are you what? Are you kidding me? You got another podcast? You stupid bitch. <laughs> you know, I forgot to plug yeah. my other podcast. It's The Barn, a podcast about the shield. But Noah, what's your podcast? Never, ever interrupt my plugs ever again. This is the only part of the show I enjoy anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, you can listen to my podcast. It's called My Favorite. My other podcast is called My Favorite Podcast. We are available on all podcasting platforms. This coming week, you will be able to hear an episode with my good friend Kelly Kripe. Who is a comedian, an editor, a director, and a cartoonist. And we talk about not one, or we do talk about one man, but he's not just one thing. He's a man of many different things. That's right. We're talking about Shel Silverstein. No way! Week. Chicago's favorite. Yeah. Love Shell. Ch- Love Shell. Yeah, the Chicago classic. So make sure to tune into that. Those episodes come out every Thursday, and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter, if you so desire. You can also follow ylg.world on Instagram and subscribe to us on YouTube for some comedy if that is something you like. And as a sort, I haven't been given like an actual like other quote unquote recommendo in a little bit, Mm -hmm. but I recently set uh, my friend Michaela, shout out Michaela, uh, some short stories that uh, I really like. And uh, one of those is called Time and Distance Overcome. I don't want to say actually anything else about it because it's best if you just go in completely blind. But I will say now is a perfect time to read that story. That's all I'll say. Great. Sounds Thanks. good. Yeah. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at it's on the list pod on Instagram at it's on underscore the list on Facebook. Everybody wants to the number two get on the list. Uh, Facebook.com slash that. You can send us an email at everybody wants to the number two get on the list at gmail.com. Uh, like, uh, like rate review us on iTunes, spread the word. Uh, and I guess that's it. Black lives matter. Black trans lives matters. Uh, defund, abolish the police, all that good stuff. And I think we will see you all next week. Thank you very much for listening. Actually, yeah, be we, we can. Just... Huh? Did we dip? Are you there? I think. Hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. We may have just zoomed big time. I think we just cut out big time. Uh, do we want? No worries. Do we want? Um, do we want people to hear this part? Do we want people to actually hear this? Or should <laughs> we just start be... over? Oh, I don't know. You know what? I am good to not do that song parody again. I feel like we can keep chugging through. And if this is an issue when I'm sitting down to edit it, it'll come out. It's also early enough in the episode that I feel like it doesn't matter too much. Okay. That there was that big of a thing. Yeah. Okay. Is it bothering you? No, it doesn't. It's not bothering me. It's just one of the, it's just like whenever that does happen, it's like, it's fine. Either way, it's, it didn't bother me. I was just like, I don't know if we should move on or not. But like, definitely cut all this out. That just definitely just cut all this out. And we, let's just let's just find a like entry point back in. Um, I'll say, what do I? I'll I'll, uh, I'll say, Chris. I'll say that uh, Chris Tlocking was definitely laughing about it. And then we'll just go in from there. <laughs>